You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Monday, October 12th, 2020. It's a holiday here in New York. We're filming the Friday before. I'm here today with Ed Harrison. Welcome, Ed. Uh, good to be here, uh, even though it's actually not the Monday, but the Friday. It's great to talk to you, as, as usual, Ash. It's always good to talk to you here through the magic of television coming to you on Monday uh, afternoon. Yeah, actually, you know, um, the Real Vision Daily Briefing is one of my favorites. Uh, it's the favorite time because we can just talk in this particular time where we're answering questions from viewers. I think is one of my favorites to do for uh, the Daily Briefing because I like interacting with uh, the viewers and the parts of our community that we don't get a chance to interact with all the time. We're going to give some shout outs, I think, to individual people who uh, have talked to us and have, you know, really said stuff that's resonated with us. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's always fun. This is the, the best hour of my day. And I like the AMAs as well, because we get to talk a little bit more about stuff that we often don't get to cover. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, the markets and so forth. And sometimes, uh, you know, the Premier League for you, Ash, we talk about that all the time, but we don't get to talk about, you know, what's going on uh, in terms of, you know, uh, how we're seeing things on a more personal basis, what's going on on the platform, that kind of stuff. Yes. And with that, Ed, I pass the baton to you. What are we talking about this morning? Yeah, you know, so I think um, let me look at some of these questions that we have. One question, I, the first question I see uh, for this Ask Me Anything uh, is from Mark Jackson. He's saying, Ash, Ed, uh, what are you guys personally invested in and over what time horizon? And uh, someone asked, how active are you in the markets? That's Eunice uh, Maton. Um, I, I, I don't really want to talk about my own personal investments uh, uh, on a broad global sense. Uh, just because they're they're my personal investments, but I think I do want to make some thoughts just as a real vision user, as a real vision subscriber, not as a real vision employee. One of the things that I find really great about real vision is it exposes me to new and different things, new and different ideas. And I think there are two places in terms of investing that I'm thinking about getting more into that I wouldn't if I weren't a Real Vision subscriber. And they are um, the cannabis market and the crypto market. Um, I'll, I, and I'll tell you two reasons why. I mean, we cover crypto a lot. And I, I saw the interview that, um, that Rao did that, was, that people really liked that came out on two Fridays ago with the guy who is, uh, you know, he, he's invested his treasury in crypto instead of in cash. And and he walked through why that makes sense. And yeah, things like, like yeah, exactly. Things like that are making me think a lot more about crypto as a investment vehicle in this era of negative real interest rates. I don't think that I would be thinking about crypto as much if it weren't something that we feature prominently on the platform. The second is I saw an interview 
uh, it was actually Haley Drasnan's first uh, interview, a uh, full-length interview on the platform with a guy who is uh, invested in the cannabis space. I, I'm, I didn't, I'm not thinking about the cannabis space at all, okay? Even though my cousin, Todd Harrison, uh, has been on the platform many times in the past uh, talking about cannabis, I really hadn't thought about it. But for the first time, Ash, I, I, I am now thinking, interesting, this is an interesting vehicle that he's talking about. He, and he, he talked to me in numbers terms, in terms of EBITDA, he talked about multiples, you know, low multiples. These are things that make my eyes light up from a value investing perspective. So I really, I think that those are two things that I can talk about in terms of my overall investment portfolio. Yeah. Well, Ed, first of all, welcome uh, to the dark side on crypto. It's good to have you here. Um, I don't know, many people in the audience may not know, but you're a very technically sophisticated guy. Uh, you run uh, your own website. You have a lot of background in technology. Uh, and it's going to be fun to have you to talk about this. You're going to have to jump on the crypto platform as well uh, from time to time to give us uh, your thoughts, what you're thinking about it as a classic macro investor uh, and how uh, that world looks to you, I think would be really interesting uh, to hear about. Uh, on the cannabis side, uh, unlike uh, many of the residents of my building, I am not a cannabis user. I smell it when I walk down the hall. I feel like it was 2019. There was this massive shift in New York City last year uh, where you just couldn't walk down the street without walking through clouds of uh, cannabis smoke. So it's definitely an interesting time for me. I think it's uh, an interesting uh, an interesting story on the economic and financial side, on the social side. There's just a lot that's happening in that space, and it's intriguing to me. I don't know as much about it as I'd like but it's something that I'd like to learn more about uh, in the years to come. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Hey, you know, let me, uh, when you say that, let me tell you uh, a personal story on that, because um, I think that in the interview that we had, uh, you know, that Haley did with Jonathan Sandelman, he he said something that really resonated with me, because, you know, he was talking about the, the recreational side, which is what you were talking about. He was also talking about the uh, medicinal side uh, and how, you know, there are two sides of the same coin uh, in terms of the space. My mother... Um, you know, she suffers from arthritis and she's also a teetotaler. She really never um, drinks alcohol or, or has never had alcohol, never smoked cigarettes, anything. Right. So she's just a straight arrow. Um, but, you know, we talked to her and she's open to the whole concept of medical marijuana because of the medicinal impact that uh, it, it could potentially have. So I think that it's a space that I'm interested in, uh, and I certainly want to. I would like to see more content on Real Vision with regard to that, uh, and and not only interested in it, you know, from a personal perspective, as I was just saying now, but from an investment perspective as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. The the uh, hesitancy uh, or fear around medical marijuana seems to be largely disappearing from the country. I know that there's some states that still don't uh, allow it or regulate it, uh, but there seems to be a universal consensus at this point uh, amongst voters that if people have medical problems and they can get some relief from cannabis or cannabis-related products, they should absolutely have it. 
Uh, and the third prong, actually, uh, Ed, is there's industrial usage uh, of, of hemp uh, plants, which uh, have some tremendous uh, environmental pot potential uh, to eliminate some less environmentally friendly products. Uh, it's going to be a huge industry, uh, it seems, by virtually every metric. Ed, here's another question to you uh, from Sunny Singh. It's a very sophisticated question. It's kind of long, so I'm going to paraphrase of it. The substance here is basically, Ed, why have we not seen a seasonal liquidity crisis? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And uh, I don't have the answer because no one knows what happened with the repo markets. It's still somewhat controversial what happened last year. And if you remember, Ash, there was a whole thing where the repo markets in terms of the, the, the price that you were paying in the repo markets just went sky high. And uh, people looked at that as a liquidity crisis. JP Morgan was involved in that. Uh, J Jamie Dimon was talking about uh, the whole thing. The long and short for me, however, is that it, it's because we're in a new regime with of excess reserves and also other uh, ancillary, uh, what I would call regulatory hurdles. Uh, normally what happens is, is, is that you don't have a ton of excess reserves in the system. And as a result, when you have interest rates uh, for uh, borrowing money, uh, what you, you're able to do in the overnight rate for interest is uh, the, the Fed sets the rate uh, for overnight money. And as a result of that, um, setting that rate, that's the rate that, that prevails because you need, uh, if, you, if people need to borrow reserves, then they're going to borrow it at that rate because there's always someone who needs to borrow the reserves. But now we're awash in um, in reserves. There's tons of excess reserves. So the natural rate of reserves falls to zero. And so the, the Fed has to therefore uh, you know pay interest on reserves in order to get the rate off the zero lower bound, which they had done up to two uh, and a quarter percent, I think it was, before we went back down to zero. So long story short, this is that's a whole new regime. This whole thing of massive uh, liquidity uh, of excess reserves that started with the great financial crisis. Uh, at some point in time, we didn't realize it that the amount of excess reserves actually wasn't as excess as we thought because there were all sorts of secondary and tertiary regulatory hurdles on what uh, the really global financial institutions could do. And so what we thought of at a minimum being excess reserves uh, uh, on a primary basis weren't really excess. They, they were needed for other purposes, other regulatory purposes, et cetera, um, by these financial institutions. So we actually, I think, got to a, a, a hard stop, a, a point where there really weren't excess reserves in the system. And that's why we had the repo crisis. The Fed has therefore understood that this is the case, that there, uh, that really there was a liquidity crisis there, that there weren't as many excess reserves in the system as they thought. And so they've worked to make sure that there were enough excess reserves in the system and the repo uh, problem has uh, dissipated. So I think that it's because the Fed got on top of the problem that we're not seeing it crop up again. That's a, my long-winded way of answering your question. I hope that it answers your question. Yeah, that's that's exactly right and very well said. I would only add, and for those who aren't following this as closely as Ed Harrison is, uh, if you're not, if you're relatively new to investing, uh, the interbank lending market, the repo market, absolutely crucial uh, to the plumbing of the financial system. Exactly. 
So now it's my time to get back at you, Ash, and uh, let's go to the next question, which is from Lisa G. And she says, hi, Ash, you mentioned you worked, uh, you used to work at Coindesk. So aside from that, would you mind sharing the go-to crypto sites that you scan daily for the latest developments? Unrelated, soccer. <laughs> I like that. Uh, is that uh, the game with the orange ball? <laughs> I think that's the game with the orange ball. That's about the extent of my knowledge. It's a great question. Yes, I, I used to work at Coindesk. I actually was the uh, was the markets editor there or markets uh, senior markets lead. I forget what the title was exactly. Uh, but I was the first reporter in the country, I believe, uh, to cover cryptocurrency as an asset class as a full-time job. That was back in 2017. It's interesting to reflect back uh, on the fact that uh, that job is uh, is so recent. Uh, and now my my good buddy Lawrence Lewitton uh, runs uh, runs that at CoinDesk. He's the uh, managing editor of markets, I think. There, he got the better title, uh, and uh, he does a great job with it. And I think CoinDesk does a great job. So that's usually my first uh, go to site. The second one is uh, is Coin Telegraph, which is uh, something that I regularly view. It's usually sort of my sort of my backup to uh, to CoinDesk. Um, but interestingly enough, Ed, and this kind of gets to this this intergenerational shift in the way that people think about uh, consuming content. You know, when you and I were the young guys uh, on Wall Street in the late '90s and the early 2000s, we probably both remember the guys uh, who would read the Wall Street Journal at their desk on paper, uh, and it, it looked so interesting. It was like, dude, what are you what are you doing, man? That's it's all available online now. No, but I I like reading it that way, uh, and it's interesting to me because kind of in keeping with the spirit of cryptocurrency, uh, that a lot of the uh, a lot of the people who are really involved in the space uh, aren't going to websites as much as uh, as you and I do when we think about news. Uh, they're on uh, they're on Telegram. They are on uh, they're on uh, Twitter constantly. Uh, they're on Steemit and other websites. Uh, so it's interesting. It is uh, very much being uh, sort of sort of uh, decentralized in the way that that people consume uh, information. For those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Telegram. Telegram uh, is an almost uh, Twitter-like application uh, where users can post uh, can post short uh, short little squibs of data. Uh, they can uh, form groups. You can interchange information that way. Uh, and Steemit, in many senses, is kind of like the Reddit of crypto. So I think those are interesting places to start. They can be a little intimidating if you're relatively new to the space. Uh, but uh, but dive in and uh, and give it a shot. It's fun. It's interesting, uh, and it's a good way to uh, to feel like uh, you are very much in the stream of what's happening. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, I have a second question for you. I know I know that you're not going to answer this question per se, uh, but I think it's interesting. So I'm going to go right to it. Uh, it's from Sam Colt. Uh, he says, "I'd love to know what public football club Ash likes the most, stonks wise." So he's talking about, you know, the the, the um, uh, athletic clubs that are traded publicly. Which ones do you like? And he has a bunch of questions about, uh, you know, Italian clubs, um, you know, Liverpool, uh, et cetera, and so forth. But uh, before you answer the, anything about the question, I think uh, this goes to content, honestly, on uh, Real Vision. Because, you know, we've talked about financial markets a lot. I think we actually had an interview with a guy who's the owner of Roma, um, um, the at the club Roma. He's an American guy who's based in Boston, and 
we we really need to broaden the palette in terms of the number of things that we talk about that are not specifically financial markets related. I'd love to have us have more interviews on platform about the economics of sports because to me that's fascinating, especially when you think about this. You know, you were talking to me. Um, you sent me a, a video clip, Ash, that said. Uh, these two guys were at a pub and they were talking. You know what I think is really interesting is when you get relegated, when you're the worst team in the Premier League, you go down to another league called the Championship. Uh, how, that, that sounds pretty good. I, I'd like to be relegated to the Championship. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, actually, if you think about it, that it doesn't work that way in American sports. Uh, in American sports, if you're the worst team in the league, you you come back again to the same league. You don't get relegated. You know, if if the Boston Red Sox, who finished almost at the bottom of their division this year, my team in, in baseball, if they um, were playing in the Premier League, they'd be relegated to the, to AAA baseball. But but that doesn't happen. So why is that? And what are the economics behind that? I think that that's a fascinating question. Yeah, it's incredibly interesting and also interesting that American society, American culture, are the most competitive in the world, uh, or at least we like to think of ourselves that way. And it doesn't matter how much you lose in any of the major sports leagues here in the United States. You never get relegated. That that concept, that term completely alien to Americans. Yeah, I really like the concept of, uh, of uh, you know, hey, if you don't perform, you go down. And some some of these teams, they go down one, two notches, three notches. It's really unbelievable to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about in the German league, Kaiserslautern. Uh, they won the league back in the mid-90s. Where are they now? I mean, they're terrible. It's amazing. Yeah. I would also add ALDS tied up. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, it's interesting also to see that what it does for the fans and the amount of skin that they have in the game. There's a terrific series on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die uh, about the uh, and I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe it's the uh, northern uh, England uh, team of Sunderland. And it's the story of, of what happens to a community uh, when your club gets relegated. And it's devastating. It's just devastating to people. It has a huge psychological impact. Uh, on on a town, on a region, and then the flip side of the coin uh, is when you get promotion. When you get a promotion, which is the opposite of relegation, when you get promoted, a league uh, like the level of joy and euphoria that fans experience something we just don't have any experience with in the U.S. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you you talk to the psychological side, but uh, you know, I'm again thinking about the financial side. Do you know how much money uh, that team suddenly, because of TV rights and things like that, gets? I mean, if Sunderland isn't in the Premier League, that's just uh, catastrophic from a financial perspective for them, because no one, relatively speaking, follows the Championship outside of the UK. You know, the 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 second league, no one cares. Right. Yeah. Except uh, except for the people who are trying to escape it via promotion that season, right? Right. That's the big story. So, Ed, what else are we looking at this morning? Well, actually, it's, it's back at you again, Ash, with a question uh, for you. How do I get a darn houseplant to Ash? That's from Sean Jay. Well, Sean, this is an interesting question because I'm, uh, it's official. I am now moving. I'm making the shortest move uh, in the history of my life. I am moving five and a half feet uh, to the right, literally, I'm moving directly across the hall uh, in January. Like so, five and a half feet. That's west toward the park, uh, and uh, maybe we'll get a house plant when I once I get into my new digs. 
Yeah, so you're you're upgrading within the same building. Uh, okay. Are you going to be doing the move all by yourself, or are you going to be hiring a company since you're only moving like you know twenty feet at the to- at maximum total? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the uh, the guys who work at the desk, talk to the porters in the building, and see if I can give them a couple of bucks to help me uh, drag my bed across the hall. Excellent. Next question's back to you, Ed, from Daniel Honan. Uh, 22% of all USD was created in 2020. Where does the productivity slash proof of work side of the equation come into play? Is this an egregious amount of time theft perpetrated on US citizens and global citizens more broadly? And lastly, how will this affect people who deal in the real economy, not the financial economy? Yeah, interesting question. I'm I'm not sure I understand it fully. Uh, but let me answer the, uh, how I understand it. Uh, when you talk about uh, U.S. dollars being created, I'm thinking first and foremost about things like quantitative easing. I'm thinking about the monetary base, the fact that you know the monetary base was $800 million, $800 billion uh, uh, right before the great financial crisis, and now it's you know something like $7 trillion or, or, or probably even more. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the last numbers. But the point being that it's a lot greater than it was. We've had a massive increase in the monetary base and specifically in the in the last year. So the question is, is what does that mean in terms of time value of money? What does it mean about the financial economy versus the real economy? For me, I think the first question has to do with what I would say is uh, how thinking about how that money gets into the the um, into the economy. There are two things about that. Number one is is that there's a concept called endogenous money. We've talked about many times. The Bank of England talks about this uh, famously. Finally, you know, um, sharing with other people that actually the way that you read in economics textbooks is not the way that uh, the economy works. That you know, when you create a loan, you're actually creating money because you simultaneously create a deposit. So in our economy, banks, that is private banks, not the central bank, they create the majority of the money. So when we talk about the broad money stock, you know, M2, M3, things of that nature, MZM, we're talking about money that's being created in the financial system endogenously through the process of, uh, of credit creation by private financial uh, actors. And that, that money that's created is a multiple of the money that the central bank is creating. So whatever the central bank is doing is not uh, as important as what these guys are doing. So think of it as like this little sliver here and then a massive amount more of this sliver. So when you think about the dichotomy between the financial economy and the real economy, I think that matters because when people talk about uh, the velocity of money, what they're essentially talking about is the ability for that creation at the base level to work its way into the financial system. They're almost talking about this difference between the central bank money creation and the money creation here at this level. So just because the central bank at the base level is creating a lot of money doesn't mean that this much larger sliver, it's a one-for-one translation. You In a bad economy, uh, the velocity of money goes down. And it goes down largely because uh, you know you have bad debts, uh, because you uh, you don't have as many credit worthy borrowers. People don't want to borrow money. People don't want to lend money. And so, ultimately, the money that the central bank is creating uh, goes towards asset prices, asset price inflation, and it doesn't necessarily 
uh, lead to any sort of um, real economy of benefits. So when people talk about uh, the central bank uh, pumping up financial assets and not helping the real economy, I think that's that's what they're talking about, ex exactly that. Yeah, and this uh, speaks to the very core of the fractional reserve banking system, reserve requirements, uh, and uh, and other regulatory requirements that control the amount of money creation uh, relative uh, to the endogenous uh, uh, money supply. And uh, you know, I, I've got the chart up right here. The monetary base looks like it hit about five point two trillion uh, and rolled over uh, a little bit now uh, to four point eight trillion uh, in August of twenty twenty. And, and I said seven trillion. So you can see in my mind, I'm thinking that they're going even, even, even higher. Ash, you know, when we started the show, I was saying that I wanted to talk and call out uh, people specifically who have had an impact on how I'm thinking about things. Um, you know, as you know, we're thinking about. I mean, in terms of the the content group, I think that we we are now at the point where we have a steady stream of good content. I I think that you know uh, you know the likes of Jeff Gunlock, which is on the platform today as we speak, it won't yeah. be he'll he'll be the the next uh, to last interview when this comes out. Those are great interviews, and I'm glad that we're able to see it. But in some ways, we have an embarrassment of riches in terms of the amount of content that we have. We have more content on the platform than ever before. And, uh, you know, that's a, a double-edged sword in certain ways. And uh, there was a um, a viewer who uh, sent, uh, who had a comment in one of our, um, on one of our videos talking about the uh, the embarrassment of riches, but he looked at it almost in a, a negative way. And it, it, it's something that we think about on an ongoing basis. So let me uh, paraphrase uh, what he said. Uh, he, or actually, let me read out what he said exactly. Here's what he said. He said, uh, there's too much content on RV at the minute. Less is more. Just looking at average likes, dislikes on videos way down on what it used to be. Give people too much choice. And what ends up happening is you end up watching nothing. Now, that was a controversial um, um, comment, but uh, to me, honestly, it resonates in terms of what we're facing, in terms of how we're thinking about uh, real vision going forward. There is a lot of content. There is more content than there used to be. And uh, that's good, but it also can be bad in the sense that you know people used to be able to watch everything that's on the platform. Now they can't. And I, I'd like to know what viewers, I mean, this is the most important part of this particular AMA for me, is I want to know what viewers think about um, the um, the fire hose of content that they're receiving. Do they like that? Uh, and uh, Or do they not like it? And if they don't like it, why? What do they think we could do differently than we're doing right now? Interesting comment. Got us really thinking about it. Um, you know, for, for me, and I think for most of the editorial uh, team at Real Vision, uh, we were all subscribers first uh, before we were Real Vision uh, employees. So it's something that we think about a great deal of. And, I, you know, speaking strictly for myself here, uh, I used to watch every minute of content on the Real Vision platform. Every week I watched every minute. Uh, and the content now 
uh, is uh, there's so much of it, uh, and there's so much more that I wish in a world of uh, without uh, without time constraints, without responsibilities, I'd spend uh, 20 hours a week watching Real Vision. But uh, you know, it's a challenge. I don't have the time. It's an incredibly high quality problem to have. But I'm curious if anyone else feels that way. Uh, if you feel like you wish you could watch all the content, which isn't to say that we're going to you know, do anything in terms of dramatically scaling it back. That's not the plan. We've been going in the opposite direction. Uh, but I'm curious uh, if it's something that you would like to do in an ideal world, if you'd like to watch all the content, I think, as I did and as you did, I think, Ed. Yeah, and uh, I, there are two questions that follow on uh, to that for me. One is about curation, uh, you know, to the degree that you're, you're saying that in that way. Ash, the question is, is uh, if we were to curate content so that because you can't watch everything, you know, uh, how would you want it to be curated? Uh, yeah. we, we now have an editor's choice list uh, as the second thing that you see. So this is one form of curation. What other suggestions might you have? Um, an, another follow on to that, I think, uh, affects you specifically, Ash. That's the crypto content. And yeah. the way that I'm thinking about it uh, mentally is cross-pollination. That is, is that crypto is a standalone tier. You can opt into the crypto tier. You don't have to uh, be a part of that, so you don't necessarily have to see any crypto. But I look at, as I was saying earlier in the program, I, because of crypto on Real Vision, I increasingly look at that space uh, from a financial investment perspective in a way that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. The question, therefore, is, is how do you cross-pollinate between uh, the Real Vision Classic information and uh, the crypto tier. You know, people who are just consuming crypto, uh, they should actually get some sort of cross-pollination from Real Vision Classic. And I think that the same is true in reverse. If you're not a part of the crypto tier, you in the past, you did get some crypto information here and there. I mean, it wasn't a ton. It wasn't overwhelming. But, you know, once every week, once every two weeks, uh, so my question to people is, is what do they see in terms of that cross-pollination? What do they want in terms of that cross-pollination? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I think in the broadest sense, that's really the key question is, what would you like to see? How would you like us to arrange the content? Uh, what's your wish list look like uh, if you were uh, put in charge of the Real Vision product? How would you like things arranged? How would you like things curated? Uh, what can we do to help you consume all of the information uh, that's on the platform in a way that works best for you? Yeah, uh, well said. So, I mean, those are the questions that we're thinking about on a daily basis uh, as part of the content group here at Real Vision, and we definitely want to hear what you have to say. Um, let me uh, let me uh, just switch tack for a really quick second here, Ash, and what I want to talk about uh, the, my my thesis for one second of uh, September-October timeframe, because yeah. I, I mentioned this in the comments, but I never really got a chance to really go on to it. So we're at the September-October timeframe right now. You know, for the last three months, I've been saying the recession is over. I wrote a post on credit write-downs in June saying the recession's over. Now we're in the recovery, uh, but September, October is sort of a uh, pivotal moment. We'll have to find out whether or not the recovery is self-sustained, self-sustaining over the longer term, and we'll find out in the, in that time frame. 
what I was also saying is that there's going to be a lot of volatility uh, as we start to uh, um, see this. And the reason that this time frame is important is because we will have been out of the uh, um, we will have recovered, if you will. We will have been out of the lockdown long enough to start to see earnings estimates that are real and economic estimates that are based on a long term trajectory will have much more visibility. So we had that uh, that volatility associated with this visibility in September. So you saw markets sell off in early September. The Nasdaq actually entered a correction more than 10% down. But you know all of the price action I've seen with regard to both uh, stocks and junk bonds, and actually interestingly enough, Ash also um, you know in the commodity space, uh, copper is an example. Copper is trading at levels that are near 52-week highs relative to where it was in March. Not All of this speaks to me of that we're actually getting through this period pretty well. So even though we're in the middle of this period, we're, you know, we still have another, when this video comes out, another uh, 19 days uh, before the uh, October is over. I don't really see uh, any more um, downside uh, of the sort that we saw in September. I could be wrong, but I'm now looking forward to the next potential period that we have in terms of how we're thinking about uh, where there could be downside risk, where there could be increased volatility, et cetera. And I don't see it, but the precursors are there in two different places uh, that I'm thinking about. One, I'm, I'm looking at consumption slash jobless claims. Jobless claims have hovered at a level that I think is uh, pernicious, you know, in the 900, 800,000 level. Uh, they could go up. If they did go up from this from this point, that would be a negative sign in terms of consumption. It would say that so many people are being laid off on a regular basis that it has to have a, uh, a, a consumption pullback uh, problem. And then secondly, I think most recessions, usually there's a canary in the coal mine. This last recession wasn't there in terms of credit. That is, is that you see credit sector deterioration that goes from uh, downgrades to defaults, and then you have the recession afterwards. So it's, it's, it's sort of like this is happening before, and then the recession happens. I think that we're seeing downgrades of the junkiest of junk bonds right now, and that could be a precursor of you know more credit stress going forward. So to the degree we have uh, you know more coronavirus in the fall and the winter, uh, we also have a default wave. You know, think about Rao's unfolding thesis, and this uh, downgrade wave turns into a default wave, and it goes from the junkiest of the junk up the chain in terms of credit. To me, that's the time when you have to say, okay, now we're, we're at a second period of potential volatility and downside risk, but we're not there quite yet. So that's that's sort of a more um, uh, macro view of this whole moving from September, October to an indefinite period in, in the foreseeable future. Yeah. It's an incredibly important point. Uh, it's good to go from uh, downgrades to defaults rather than from defaults to downgrades, as we saw in the 2008 cycle. Right. Yeah. I suppose it's never good uh, to go, but it's better at least to, to have the warning and to get something uh, of an indicator in what's happening, as you say, in the junkiest of junk uh, before that moves up the credit spectrum. Yeah. And, you know, one one last thing on that, too, is is, is that 
from my perspective, the the most uh, important factor is is how far is the Fed willing to go? No one knows the answer to that because at the end of the day, they've said that they're willing to do junk ETFs. They haven't said they're in, they're looking for individual names in the junk space. They haven't said that they're willing to buy uh, you know um, stocks, but. Who knows? That could be coming. So in terms of does the Fed have your back, that's an important point. If it gets to that point where we're again at the point like March where uh, the Fed has to get in there and say, we've got your back, uh, you know, we'll already have had the, the downside risk. Uh, it will have uh, uh, the Fed will only get your back after the market falls apart, not before. So I think that's something to remember as well. Yeah, some would say that's the key question, really, uh, in terms of uh, the, the degree of intervention that the Fed is uh, is willing to take. Uh, and the history uh, of the last uh, 10 years or so uh, has only been in one direction, toward taking greater and greater steps to support markets. Yeah, and the reason is, is because, you know, uh, starting with Ben Bernanke, the learning of the of the Great Depression is don't let it happen. You know, intervene at all costs, you know, if, if possible, as early as possible to prevent uh, a meltdown, a, a cascade down uh, of uh, the Irving Fisher type of uh, of, of depression where uh, what, what, what's the word that Irving Fisher uh, uses? Get deflation spiral. Exactly. So uh, that's what they're trying to prevent. Uh, and so all of all of the, the, the machinations of the Fed are geared in that direction. Yeah, and I would also add that some of uh, the the challenge that we see, some of the reason that we see so much Fed activity is because of dysfunction in other areas of government. That the Fed uh, is, uh, it's like the police; they answer the phone when you dial nine one one. And there are probably a lot of things that would be far better off if it weren't the police responding. But at the end of the day, somebody has to take action, so the Fed is stuck doing it. Uh, there's, you know. Go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 100% with you. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying before about the monetary base and then the rest of the economy. Um, you know, the Fed really, they've decided that if there's going to be no stimulus because we have divided government, we can't come together on stimulus, they have a dual mandate to, to uh, deal with. And so they're going to have to step into the breach. They don't necessarily want to. Powell yeah. was saying, get at it, you uh, in Congress. But Congress didn't get at it. So what's the Fed going to do now? Are they just going to stand there with their, uh, you know, uh, sit on their hands? No, they're going to take action in all probability. That means more stimulus. That's right. That's exactly right. And if we compare the remarks that uh, Chairman Powell made at the beginning of his term uh, to where he is today, that's absolutely the case. It's almost like, you know, the electrical inspector goes on on strike uh, and the fire department is the one that has to show up at three o'clock in the morning when the building is on fire. They're not just going to let it burn down. And I think that's the position, the unenviable position, I should add, that the Fed is in. So, uh, I, I, you know, honestly, I think that this is a great part of the AMA today. Uh, I don't know how it morphed into us talking about the Fed, but, it, you know, ultimately, it's very important uh, when you take a look forward as to thinking about what's going to happen, potentially, you know, is this a sustainable recovery that we're in now? And if it's not, what are the what are the likely outcomes? How is the Fed going to be involved? That's definitely the the sixty four thousand dollar question. And I believe that question will eventually be answered uh, in, in the affirmative or the negative at some point in time. Yeah, you and I are a lot of fun at cocktail parties because it always morphs into a conversation <laughs> about the yeah. Fed.
Hey, before we end this, uh, by the way, you know, we do have a few uh, more um, soccer questions, football questions there. Let's not take them at all, but uh, because I know some people aren't aren't really as keen on the soccer as other people. But uh, uh, you got to show your druthers here. What's your team? Uh, Pick a team. I I I was thinking that you were a Tottenham fan. Who who's your team now, Ash? Yeah, I've been uh, Tottenham Hotspur. I've been watching the uh, the Amazon uh, show. I think it is uh, where they go uh, live uh, into the locker room uh, and on the field and follow the players at Tottenham Hotspur. And it's really interesting. I think it gives you a sense of the inside uh, culture, what it's like to be at a in a in a football club, and to actually understand what it's like. And it brings you the narrative uh, and the context. In fact, they do for soccer, for football, what we do for markets at Real Vision, right? <laughs> Bring you inside and get you the sense of the culture and what people are really talking about. So sure, I'm a Tottenham fan. Let's call it that. Excellent. I think that's a great way to end it, uh, Ash. Do you, I don't know if you have any more, but uh, great uh, great uh, to know that you where you're finally called out on, on Tottenham. I'm working on it, man. All right, then, Ash. I think uh, that that's it. Uh, n- n- uh, we're out of here. Um, and let, let's uh, let's post it on on Monday. Enjoy the holiday, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.